It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. During a visit to a Ford Motor Company plant in Michigan, President Trump congratulated the Ford family, descendants of the notoriously anti-Semitic Henry Ford, who had received the Grand Cross of the German Eagle from the Nazis in 1938, on having, quote, good bloodlines. Yes, good bloodlines. For those of us who are familiar somewhat with history or have read or watched The Plot Against America, you might recall Henry Ford as the Nazi lover. For those of you not familiar with your history or who have not read or watched The Plot Against America, you might recognize Henry Ford as the Nazi lover. In other words, good bloodline for the rest of the Ford family. So this is again my opportunity to say to my right-wing Jewish friends, and isn't friends really a funny word? You know how friends is one of those words that means what it means and also means its exact opposite? But anyway, to my right-wing Jewish friends out there, remember the size of your tax cuts. Just don't forget that while you are busy attacking liberal Jews and liberal Americans for not being, in the case of Jews, Jewish enough or supportive of Israel enough, not being supportive enough to march with the Nazis like you do. Just remember, in case you're feeling a little weird about that at some point, just keep remembering the size of your tax cuts. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio. I'm David Leventhal. On today's show, we will be having an update on our conversations last week about how we're enforcing free speech in this country and how that needs to change. We will be discussing more about how the media needs to treat the President of the United States. And at this time of thousands upon thousands of Americans dying from a global pandemic, Trump and the GOP do what they can to make thousands and thousands more die. We start with the issue of federalism or states' rights and a way to make sure that corporations are not accountable for the damage that they do. Wait, don't go anywhere. It's actually a lot more interesting than it might sound. But first, the president alleges murder while the police commit it. And those two things are not related. He's, of course, not alleging murder by the police. So let's get right to it. Lots to cover today. Thousands have taken to the street, as I reported last week. Now they've taken to the streets worldwide. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands or millions have taken to the streets worldwide to protest the racist police murder in Minneapolis of George Floyd. Well, that's a little unfair. Uh, also, you know, the murder of Breonna Taylor, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, and other ra uh, racist-related murders by the police or otherwise. George Floyd just perhaps being the late. Oh, wait a minute. No, George Floyd. This was like a week ago. So it's not even the latest anymore. But it is the one that set off all the protests starting in Minneapolis and now around the world. I have been talking for a long time on this show since we started about the upcoming civil war in this country. Is it possible the civil war has started? We'll start over something as mundane as police killing black people or white people killing black people and just getting away with it. 
as if the divide was not stark enough in this country that would lead us to believe that civil war could be coming. Hopefully not of the actual firing kind, but that's looking pretty hopeful at this point. As if the divide wasn't stark enough in this country, we look at Trump supporters taking to the streets to protest in favor of white privilege. To protest against having to wear masks to protect the lives of their fellow citizens. While at the same time, we have people protesting across this country and the world, the murder of people because of the color of their skin. And thus, the battle lines are drawn in America today. The police officer most responsible for the murder of George Floyd, Derek Chauvin, one can only ask, what position do you think he's going to be given in the Trump administration? What position do you think Donald Trump will give him? What role do you think he will have in Donald Trump's 2020 campaign? And you think I'm being facetious? I'm not being facetious. Assuming he can get on on bail, having just been arrested, undoubtedly because of the protests to try to make them go away. Assuming he gets out on bail, and I'm sure Trump supporters will help arrange that. He's probably already out, actually. You can expect that he will be made by the president a hero for his re-election campaign and for this country. So we see in this country one group of absolute fucking morons protesting in favor of right pr- white privilege and the right to kill others versus one group legitimately and commendably protesting racist, racist murder and fighting for equality still in America. Or as our president puts it, American heroes versus domestic terrorists. Anybody want to guess which side he considers the American heroes? That's really too easy even to give you a moment to think about. In case you weren't clear on Twitter this week, President Trump called for violence, calling protesters protesting murder, thugs in all caps, and threatening, quote, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Words originally used by white supremacist racist in Florida during the civil rights movement. But whatever, that just makes it all the better for Donald Trump, all the more appropriate. Twitter responded by flagging Trump's tweet warning. According to Twitter, this tweet violated the Twitter rules about glorifying violence. President of the United States having to be told by a social media company that he really shouldn't be glorifying violence. Don't worry. That's a, that's a message that I'm sure will sink in. In fact, it's already sinking in. Donald Trump's bitch, Attorney General William Barr, has then just recently called the violence domestic terrorism. And in doing so, of course, he has singled out the usual leftist suspects for creating violence in all these protests, for rioting, for looting, for all kinds of terrible things. You know, your usual your Antifa people, your Black Lives Matter, you're, you know, your leftists, your socialists. He is absolutely not calling out the white supremacist groups. That it turns out the mayors in question here are saying have actually infiltrated all these protests and are culpable. 
I said to somebody when this whole thing started, okay, great. So now the police and the and the ultra-right wing and the white supremacists will be infiltrating all these protests, will be creating violence to totally delegitimize it, to to justify police action actions against them, which are taking place. The words weren't even out of my mouth before it happened. It's not any prediction on my part. It's what happens every single time. So Barr, of course, calls out domestic terrorism, just not the actual domestic terrorists. He can't call out the domestic terrorists. I mean, to be fair to Attorney General Barr, the domestic terrorists are his base, or Donald Trump's base. That is, of course, the base of Donald Trump and the Republican Party right now. So we can't call them out. He has to use them. And thus again, the battle lines are clearly illustrated. Now, to be fair, we've also seen that you can understand why the president and his bitch need to focus on domestic terrorism, all caps mine there. Because it turns out they need to focus on anything other than foreign-based terrorism. Because a report out this week has said that the murders last year at the U.S. airbase by a Saudi national who was made part of the Air Force unit was in fact the first successful foreign organized terrorist attack in the United States since 9-11, having tied it to Al-Qaeda. Yes, happening under Donald Trump's watch, not only having done nothing about it, but having cozied up to some of the people responsible. I mean, to, to be fair to Trump, who could have predicted that Saudis would attack us. Saudis, of all people. I mean, you'd have thought that 9-11 got it out of their system since they were primarily responsible for the attacks on 9-11. Well, it turns out, of course, that we could have predicted it. We kicked out a whole bunch of others from, this pro- from the very same program for their actions, which were suspicious at best. But we decided to let these guys get this guy get through the cracks without watching him, without preventing him from murdering several of his of U.S. soldiers. So the administration totally botched this up. Could you imagine again if this had happened under the Obama administration? You're not even hearing about this. The media isn't even talking about this, that the Trump administration allowed this to happen through their incompetence and their inattentiveness. If it were Obama, we'd already have had hundreds of hours of hearings in front of congressional committees, which Obama was forced to testify. And they would have been talking about stringing the guy. Oh, maybe I shouldn't be talking about stringing up the black man right now. Of course, maybe I should be talking about stringing up the black man because that's, of course, what they would be seeking to do. But here, of course, the administration is too busy focusing on getting around the congressional ban on arms sales to Saudi Arabia and figuring out how to help the murderous Saudi leader help Trump get richer and steal another U.S. election to be worried about such trivialities as protecting American soldiers. So, yeah, I better start attacking those domestic terrorists, people who are fighting against murder, not the actual terrorists, foreign or domestic. This is the 2020 election now in microcosm. As we get closer and closer to that point, 
and hope that you're all off or on your asses to make a difference. On the one side, we have the, the people fighting for justice, equality, law and order against the other side, the Trump side and his criminal organization backers, the white supremacists, the ultra conservatives and other fucking morons who are only fighting for white privilege or their own ability, I guess, to completely destroy their economic future on behalf of billionaires that they're too stupid to understand they are doing the work of. You better choose a side and come out voting. Hopefully not fighting. We're not calling for violence on this show. But come out voting because they're going to have to be beaten roundly at the polls for this to go away. You know, speaking of the battle line being drawn, there was a New York Times headline this week that I found a little bit entertaining. Um, The headline pointed out that COVID was hitting blue areas the hardest. Not that that's really much of a surprise. Blue area are are where people actually have some interest in going. For some reason, I guess rural Alabama, not a big tourist destination, unlike New York City, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., etc. So no surprise there, although I do hope that some people will look as as blue areas get hit hardest. I hope that we're looking for a link between the virus and education. Maybe education causes the coronavirus because it's the blue areas that are educated. Or maybe there's a link between the coronavirus and empathy because it's the blue areas where people have empathy for others. And maybe that's the biggest dividing line in this country. Those two leading up to this election where people have some education, some information, some ability to think going up against those who don't, and where people have the ability to show empathy or concern or thoughtfulness about another human being, unlike, for instance, the President of the United States. In fact, speaking of Trump's empathy and speaking of his tweets, as we have passed the official 100,000 deaths milestone from coronavirus, How has Trump commemorated this tragic and grim milestone? Well, he hasn't actually said anything about it. He actually, not having the ability to even fake empathy, he hasn't even tried to show empathy for the people who are suffering from this. No, Donald Trump is trying to show empathy, apparently, for the family of Lori Klesudis. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Despite the fact that what he's doing instead is putting her family through another nightmare. Who is Lori Klesudis? In case you don't know this, Lori Klesudis is the former is the former aide to former Republican Congressman Joe Scarborough, who died while Scarborough was a congressperson. Donald Trump has accused Scarborough, echoing ultra right-wing stupid conspiracy conspiracy theories of murdering Miss Klesudis. Miss Klesudis. Do I have to point out, by the way, do I have to actually pause for a moment and say, oh, by the way, he didn't do it? <laughs> but, okay. He didn't do it. Um, the New York Times Riley noted, cute the way this was done in an article, that Scarborough was 800 miles away at the time, not anywhere near his district office. He was, in fact, in Washington, D.C. at the time. Doesn't matter. The cultists, 
can't be worried about trivialities like facts, reason, anything like that. None of this should matter. Although I will point out, in light of all that's going on and what has happened throughout the Trump administration, this would almost be comical except for the fact that Scarborough, now a a commentary a commentarian on MSNBC in the morning, a former Republican congressman, by the way, on the liberal MSNBC, so-called. Scarborough had better have bodyguards. You could bet that the guy is hired, had to hire a lot of bodyguards. Because we're talking about Trump supporters here. And the fact that he didn't murder anybody and has been absolved from any possibility of having murdered anybody won't affect the fucking morons some of whom may absolutely go out and try to kill this guy. It's pathetic. It's unbelievable. The president needs to be dragged off in handcuffs. Dragged off in handcuffs, maybe that's going too far. Speaking of going too far, the mainstream GOP, of course, has come out and said that Donald Trump went too far on this one. He shouldn't be accusing the guy of having committed murder when he clearly did not, especially since he was one of their own. Yes, the mainstream GOP, again, coming out and taking a brave stand, which will amount to nothing. You could see Susan Collins up there in Maine, almost thinking about doing something about it because she's so upset that Donald Trump went too far. She's, she's so upset that, you know, she's going to move on to running for re-election and do nothing about it. But she will go tisk tisk twice in front of the mirror and hope that Donald Trump gets the message. Just like you got that message, Susan from the impeachment, right? Remember that one? You jackass? Anyway, we see thus normal human beings still hope regarding the Republican Party. We see, we see this being pointed out everywhere. The GOP mainstream has said Trump has gone too far. Oh my God, thank God there are still reasonable people within this criminal organization. There are not. There are just criminals within this criminal organization who occasionally feel that the politics of the situation make them mouth the right thing and continue, of course, to do absolutely nothing about it, which is what will happen. But this is free speech, right? We talked about free speech last time and how something needs to be done about free speech in America. The man comes out and accuses a guy of murder. Well, turns out in this case, Trump is perhaps opening himself up to a lawsuit for intentional infliction of emotional distress and for defamation for what he said about Joe Scarborough. And he should be sued. And people should be talking to MSNBC and Joe Scarborough and saying, sue the guy. Trump, in fact, has lived his entire life suing to intimidate everybody. That's his game plan. Remember this when we talk later on about tort reform. That has been Donald Trump's modus operandi in his business world since he started. Anytime anybody has something negative about him, he just threatens to sue, overwhelms this person with the threat of of the costs that will be associated with a lawsuit, and Trump always gets to win despite always being wrong. Well, maybe our side, the good guy, should start playing the same game. We're accused of doing it all the time anyway, so let's actually play that game. Let's sue this fucking son of a bitch Every time he opens his mouth, let's sue him for every tweet. Let's run the campaign coffers dry defending these lawsuits. Like when he retweeted the other day, 
This is the president of the United States speaking to the craziest, stupidest human trash on the planet, retweeting a quote that only good, the only good Democrat is a dead Democrat. The only good Democrat is a dead Democrat. Donald Trump, the president of the United States, retweeted that. The son of a fucking bitch. He needs to be sued all the time. The Supreme Court made it clear during the Clinton administration that the president can, in fact, be subject to civil lawsuits while he's president. Now, don't worry. The current Supreme Court will simply overturn that precedent. But make them do it. Waste their time, too. Take them away from whatever other mischief they could be doing and make them come out and show, again, that they have absolutely no integrity but will support the criminal president of the United States. Of course, the left won't do any of this. We don't play that way. That's only the right that plays this way. The left always plays fair and decently and by the rules and not breaking the system because we actually have respect for the system. So anyway... Trump, very upset, okay? He needs to exercise his free speech, and he gets to do that. Of course, he, that didn't stop him from issuing an executive order against social media companies after Twitter fact-checked two of his tweets about mail-in ballots. Surprise! Spoiler alert! Donald Trump flat-out lied about fraud regarding mail-in ballots. Twitter, for the first time, applied its new policies to the President of the United States and issued an alert that basically said, and I'm paraphrasing here, the President's a fucking liar. I think they said it a little bit nicer than that. So Donald Trump is very upset at that exercise of free speech. Look, I have no love lost for social media companies. They all fucking suck. I have a Twitter account that I've been told since I started this show I should be using to promote the show. I just can't do it. I don't want to use Twitter. I don't even I don't want my hands to get dirty using Twitter or Facebook. But this is still the president of the United States who yells about free speech, showing once again that he has absolutely no interest in free speech. On the one hand, this is, of course is the usual conservative paranoia. Everybody's out to get us including social media companies that are responsible for me being the president. doesn't matter. But of course, this is the GOP game plan in using free speech to deny free speech of others in telling people that he's lying to them. We've got a real problem here, people. It's bad enough he gets to lie in the first place. The idea that alerting someone to the idea that you're lying would actually inhibit free speech, as Trump is arguing is frankly just par for the GOP course. I'm reminded, I talked about this a few weeks ago, Mitch McConnell famously writing the letter to the members of the Committee for Economic Development who supported reasonable limitations on campaign finance donations, campaign funding. He wrote them a letter and said, campaign funding is a matter of free speech. If you don't agree with me, shut the fuck up. <laughs> this, is, this is free speech GOP style. Anybody who agrees with me, anybody who pays a lot of money for speech, gets speech. Anybody else doesn't. That's the free speech we've got now. Boy, do we need to make some changes. Uh, 
just a little while ago, the court had ruled months or a couple of years ago regarding matching funds, political matching fund rules. That in fact, by, uh, by the, the state giving money for people who get a lot of small money contributions, the state would kick in more money to help them fund their campaign. The court ruled that that in fact violates free speech because it drowns out the speech of the billionaires by actually allowing others to speak. This is free speech GOP style. Free Speech is free as long as you can afford it and as long as you support us. So we go back to the question of how should the media be treating Donald Trump, which I talked about last time. To go further, the media should be ignoring anything he says on substance. They should never say anything. Donald Trump says this as if it's true. They shouldn't go for his red herrings. They shouldn't go for all the distractions. They should occasionally, maybe at the end of the day, at the end of the week, point out the stupid fucking things he said. Just that should be that. Donald Trump says 12 stupid fucking things today that go against the facts. But nothing he says should ever be treated as with any deference, with any thought that it might actually be true. Because here's a clue. It's not. Okay. And, and, and lastly, I wanted to add, I didn't talk about this last time I talked about the president's speech and the president. Um, this president deserves no respect from anybody. He doesn't show it to anybody. He doesn't deserve it. We've all seen clips of him insulting and berating reporters for asking questions. And the reporters having to sit there and take it because they need to show deference to the office of the presidency of the United States. Well, the office of the presidency deserves respect. This son of a bitch currently occupying it does not. And when Donald Trump starts insulting these reporters, it's time for them to respond by saying, you lying sack of human trash. And then beginning their sentence with that. Everybody should start their sentence when they speak to the president as, you lying sack of human trash, let me ask you this question. So, we have context for whatever the answer is going to be. Anyway, I've been talking about the how the coronavirus and the, the actions of the President of the United States and his minions has reflected on issues of major importance in this country, issues that we've been gra- trying to grapple with for a long time now. I want to talk about two of those issues right now that have been prominent, uh, have made, been made prominent by the President during the coronavirus uh, pandemic. And those issues are the issues of federalism or states' rights, the distribution of power between the federal government and state governments, and the issue of tort reform or preventing lawsuits against people and corporations that do harm, both of which have been made front and center again by the President of the United States. I'm going to, you have to bear with me for a moment. Uh, I'm going to quickly lead in to give you some context here about why these things are so important. And it goes to the, if you want a longer discussion, by the way, our very first Forward Nation radio, this is how important I think this subject to be. Our very first Forward Nation broadcast in March of 2017 dealt with the basic concept of ethics and applying ethics to human beings and corporations and ultimately including the issues of federalism and tort reform. 
to try to give a quick synopsis just to give us some context. We have something called ethics in our society. Ethics are just rules of behavior that people are expected to, be, to follow. You're supposed to help little old ladies across the street. You're supposed to clean up after yourself. You're supposed to return other people's property that you happen to stumble upon. You are supposed to act in the interests of others and not just in the interests of yourself. The reason we have these ethical rules is because we know that society is better off if people consider others in their actions and if people are not just acting like selfish pieces of shit. We know for a fact that we are better off if people follow these ethical rules and consider others. Okay. That being said, we have gone the other way with respect to corporations. People will occasionally pay lip service to the idea of corporate ethics. Corporate ethics is an oxymoron. Two, ter two words that do not belong together. By definition, corporations are supposed to act out of self-interest, just for their own benefit, not to consider others. In other words, no ethics in the corporate realm. Well, when the corporate realm has a far greater impact on the world we live in and the world we might be living to our children, leaving to our children and grandchildren than the actions of individuals have, you can understand it's pretty damn important to figure out ways to get corporations, even though all they care about is themselves and they're not supposed to care about preserving the planet or anything else, to get them to act in ways that do not destroy the lives of others. In other words... How to get businesses to behave in socially responsible ways, despite the fact that they don't have any social responsibility. The basic bottom line here is you've got two ways to do this, to change business behavior. The first way to do that is through what the, what the GOP will tell you, what conservatives will tell you, their favorite method. And these two methods do coincide with the two sides of our political divide. What I call the market mechanism, which is that businesses will not do bad things because the market will punish them for doing bad things. The market self-regulates. This is a canard that has been sold to us successfully for, well, generations and generations, but most successfully for the past few decades. Canard, how do I know what absolute bullshit this is? Take a moment, put the podcast on pause, and think to yourself, how many businesses, how much does corporate misbehavior influence the way you behave? And if you're listening to the show, you are one of the few in this country for being responsible probably one of the few informed and willing to make a difference in the world. So you're self-selected to be most likely to make this system work. Do you think it's working? Are you, are, are you punishing businesses in your purchases for doing bad things? How many of you think you could name 1% of the bad things that businesses are doing? You can't. I, give, I go over this with my students. In fact, I'm going to be teaching this class beginning tomorrow. I go over this with my students and I give them a quiz about all this corporate misconduct, major corporate misconduct over the last few years. They don't know any of them. You don't know what the hell corporations are doing. And when you do, you're not really in a position to act on it. Many of us don't even have the resources we need to be as responsible as we'd like to be. So it's just not happening. This is 
The Republican argument against why we don't need the second mechanism to change business behavior, which is laws, which is the enactment and enforcement of laws and regulations that will actually change business behavior. Well, that's the liberal method. It's the reason why Republicans have to shoot slings and arrows at liberals and socialists because we're so obviously right on the basics. If we don't pass laws and enforce laws to change business behavior, businesses will kill us all. Business ethics, by the way. Yeah, here's, here's more news that weighs in on this. The dam failures in Michigan. You might have read about this. A couple of dams have failed. Flooding many areas causing millions and millions of dollars in property damage. From at least one company with a history of ignoring safety warnings. These aren't, these aren't acts of God. They're acts of man being selfish and not doing anything to make the freaking dams safe. Well, so we're left with, basically, since the market mechanism don't, doesn't work, the only way we pre- prevent corporations, the biggest actors in the world, from destroying the planet is by regulating them and by enforcing those regulations. And that brings us to federalism and tort reform, starting with federalism. Federalism, as I noted before, is the, is the distribution of power between state and federal governments. Well, Donald Trump's been talking about federalism a lot during the coronavirus. He said just recently, when, when somebody's president of the United States, the authority is total. And that's the way it's got to be. It's total. It's total. It, a, a quote, thanks to Molly Ivins, with respect to Molly Ivins, that sounds better in the original German. But there's Donald Trump not paying a lot of lip service to states' rights. That's Donald Trump speaking in favor of a very strong federal government. At least we can be happy that Donald Trump, who at other times has been talking just constantly about states' rights. No, leave it to the states to do this. It's the states that have to handle the coronavirus epidemic, not me, not the federal government. Yes, he has total authority, but it's up for the, up to the states to do it. It's absurd. It's inconsistent. It's gobbledygook. But give the man some credit. At least Donald Trump, for the first time, seems to understand that there is such a thing as a constitution. That's good. That's making some progress there. He, he, he couldn't stick to the Republican talking points, of course. But at least he knows that there's a constitution. And what is it that the Republican talking points are? The Republican talking points are states' rights. Federal government shouldn't be doing things. We should be leaving things to the states. That has been since the founding of this country what the current Republican criminal organization and its and its predecessors have always argued. States' rights. That's of course that's got us into a civil war. In fact, it's important to know that that's in fact where it kind of has come from. That the Republican arguments in favor of states' rights have long been about the rights of slave owners, slave-owning states. Oh, yippee. They've also been about promoting the rights of corporations. This has become more apparent as time has gone on. The Constitution tried to balance the rights of states versus the necessary rights of the federal government. The federal government, we are seeing more and more, is absolutely necessary in more and more situations. Because over time, that balance has shifted. 
Whatever balance worked in the late 18th century does not work today as the world has become smaller and smaller. We have cars and planes and ships and the internet and instant communication. The world has become smaller and smaller and smaller, meaning that states do not have the ability frequently to promote their own interests and regulate themselves and their businesses. And as businesses at the same time have become bigger and bigger and bigger, they cannot frequently be regulated by the states. So more and more we have seen from facts on the ground and from any logical reason that we need a more, a bigger, a more active national federal government. Or as the Republicans say, we don't need the federal government, we need states' rights. Except, you know, when we don't. We need more government, we need more federal government. We're seeing this during this crisis because we're seeing the states unable to protect citizens from a global pandemic. It is our national leadership that is in a position to be able to protect people in this country far better than the states are able to. And yes, it's true that it's only the states that have been doing it, despite the fact that their hands are tied behind their back, but that's only because the federal government, because Donald Trump believes in states' rights, the Republican criminal organization so-called believes in states' rights, that the federal government is not doing its freaking job. So it's left to the states that are simply not in a position to be able to do this. This is why America does so much worse at handling things like a global pandemic and this current pandemic than the rest of the world has done because we do not have a federal government doing what is needed to be done. It is the same reason we as a country continue to tolerate a string of pathetic Republican leaders. From Ronald Reagan to both Bushes, certainly Boy George, to the current piece of shit occupying the White House. Because what the hell, we don't believe in a national government anyway. So who cares if these jackasses are ruining it? Ruining it. Well, how does that sound right about now? As we've way passed the 100,000 dead point. Now, to be fair to the GOP, it's not really doctrinaire about the concept of states' rights. It has shown, as Donald Trump did when he said his powers are absolute, he, in fact, made the mistake of really showing the GOP game plan a little too obviously. They are consistent. They are steady. Not in their belief in states' rights, but in the result. They are steady in believing in whatever result supports the interests of white supremacists and corporations. That's the bottom line. In the rare instances where states can regulate, then the Republicans believe they can't regulate like in California. Normally, pollution is one thing the states can't regulate. Only the federal government could do that. Most states can't prevent air pollution from blowing into the state from neighboring states. It needs to be a national thing. But in a case with cars where California was in a position to actually, given the size of its economy, to actually promote fuel restrictions, the federal government, states' rights advocates, said, no, 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 we don't believe in states' rights anymore. Not now. It's all about the result. And the result is to make sure that corporations cannot be regulated in any way, shape, or form. That nothing, that not a concern for the world, not a concern for climate change and the actual continuing validity, 
functionality of our world. None of that interferes with the Republican plans to further enrich people running multinational businesses that just want to not be regulated by any party that could regulate it. Only national laws can protect us from this global pandemic. Only national laws can protect us from the pandemic that is corporate America, or that is multinational corporations. Only national laws can protect our environment. Only national laws can keep Americans breathing safely. That's why the GOP, when it's, that's the case, is against national laws. The other reason that federalism, that the concept of states' rights at this point, is so misguided in most situations, is that the size of states versus the size of multinational corporations has put the states into an intergovernmental bidding war. I have been talking about this in class and on my show several times over the few years I've been doing my show. States and municipalities are forced to bid with each other, like the Amazon bidding war that we literally saw up for bidding. What will you give us as far as slavery, free stuff, no taxes, etc., in order for us to come there? The states have no choice but to accede to this corporate blackmail. One of my favorite quotes regarding the issue of federalism and this intergovernmental bidding war was from, actually, ironically, EPA administrator under Ronald Reagan, William Ruckelshaus, not exactly a flaming liberal, under Ronald Reagan, who told the story about Governor George Wallace in Alabama taking out to try to lure businesses from Indiana. He said they took out ads in the Indianapolis newspaper that said, basically, this is Ruckel's house retelling of this. Come on down to Alabama. We don't care what you put in the water. Just come locate here. No environmental laws here. You can poison our citizens. Just bring us some money, will you please? We're seeing this bidding war really played out right now with respect to the, to the global pandemic when we're actually seeing states engaged in a bidding war for things like respirators, masks, etc. Where corporations in this case are able to, to pit state against state in an intergovernmental bidding war, not just for relocation, but to actually buy stuff. To bid up the price of these things so that they become unaffordable for the state. What is the obvious solution to this? The federal government buys all this shit. Everybody else stops bidding. The federal government becomes the one of the few bidders and buys it at the stated price without bidding it up. That's the bidding war. That's why the concept of states' rights in so many instances when they affect the, the interests of multinational corporations just simply do not have any appropriate application right now in America. You know, else we're seeing federalism, I'm kind of enjoying this one. We're seeing this over the Republican presidential convention in 2020. In case you've miss this. It's scheduled to be in North Carolina, but North Carolina has a Democratic governor and they're you know, not so keen on the idea of letting everybody hang out there, inviting tens of thousands of people there to commingle at parties and conventions and, et cetera, and, and whatever else and spread, a goal, and spread this global pandemic. But the GOP has started the, the intergovernmental bidding war that we see with states' rights. We'll let you kill even more of our citizens. Come locate here. Florida, Georgia are saying, hey, GOP, come locate here. Forget North Carolina. We won't have any rules at all. No masks, no social distancing, no anything. You guys can kill each other as long as you give us some money. 
As long as we get the money that comes pouring in from all the fat cats that will be flying in on their private jets to attend parties outside the Republican convention, we will kill our citizens for your money. How about that for a discussion of federalism? But the flaw here with this race to the bottom is particularly apparent. Remember that it's not just, of course, about the people at the convention. They can just fucking die. It's about them taking it back and killing others. In fact, here's what I think. This whole liberal scam, this whole fake news about the virus to so exaggerate this just to make Trump look bad. I think you should go to the Republican convention, hundreds of thousands of you. You should go in from all over. You should stay there. And in fact, to prove how wrong the rest of us are, you should have a fun team building exercise. You should blow up the world's biggest balloon together by mouth. You should take turns blowing into the balloon until you blow up this huge uh, Empire State Building size Donald Trump balloon. And you should all share in the blowing up of that balloon. And then you should just stay there and not go anywhere for a little while and just hang out and enjoy each other. This is where we need to quarantine decent, thoughtful, reasonable people from Trump supporters. Anyway, leaving on a hopeful note, that's it for today's show. Next week, we'll talk more about how the GOP and businesses are killing you for profit as we talk about tort reform. Till then, be well, be safe. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 